Hi, my name is Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. I, I call them toboggans where I'm from. Anybody else call them toboggans? All right, we're the weird ones, all right? Toboggans, you know what I'm saying? Uh, people like me need these. If you say amen, I'm going to throw you out right now. So listen, this is what uh, some sweet, sweet people in our church do. Um, this is why uh, the church being the body of Christ is such a beautiful thing. Um, he has not given me this gift, all right? I've tried. I've been working on a washcloth that Miss Anita taught me how to do. Uh, I'm going on four years. You want to know why? Because I'm not a quitter, all right? Um, but but our, our, there are some folks in our church who have been knitting hats for about seven years. Uh, the first year they ever started... Um, they found a ministry in Charleston called the Seafarers Ministry. And what will happen is, um, and we got to do this last year, we got to go and deliver these down to Charleston, get on these giant ships and hand deliver uh, tracts and information about Jesus and share the gospel with them. And it was just an encouraging time. And uh, and so these knitted hats don't save people, but they are a tool by which we can get the gospel to people who desperately need it. And uh, seven years ago, when this ministry started, I was told we, we made 16 hats or something along those lines. We took 16 hats. There are about 160 hats uh, up here on the stage this year. Each one of those has a track. A tract, and it's got it in a, um, this gospel presentation in a number of languages. Last year we went on a boat, and I think we met folks from the Philippines and from all over the world. And so it's got tracts in a bunch of languages and uh, shares the gospel with people. It is a tangible way to spread the love and gospel of Jesus Christ with people who are in desperate need of it. Isn't that an encouraging thing? And so, um, I, church family, I want to celebrate that there are 160 and some change of them this year. So 10 times what we started seven years ago. And so I want to celebrate that. Would you uh, thank the Lord and thank these ladies for, that, have, that have made these available? And so at the end of the service, every year we kind of do a commissioning service. And so we, we have tended to come up and grab one and pray over it. Um, we'll probably do it a little differently, and we'll do one of these numbers, uh, and we'll pray from a distance and just commission these as they go out to Charleston to the Seafarers Ministry. Um, that's just an encouraging thing. Also, uh, on another fun note, here's the way my day started today. 
I get to church, and uh, Terry Jackson, who is head of our security, he walks up to me and says, we got a problem. Great. Thank you. I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, outside of one of the daycare classrooms, there's a trash can. All right, it's not a big problem. It's trash. It's about a trash can. It's not a big problem. And inside that trash can are two skunks. So anybody volunteering to deal with that after church, come see me, okay? Because otherwise, Pastor Ryan's going to be grabbing a broom. Like, I skipped the skunk class in seminary. All right. So uh, Luke, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. We're going to be reading from verse 10 all the way down uh, to verse 21. And, uh, and so if you would, as is uh, what we do here at Seneca Baptist, if you would stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, if you're able, please do. Please join me. Now he was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit. For 18 years she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. You're freed from your disability. Verse 13. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogues, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. Say, if we're, in, if we're in the South, we'd say, bless his heart, right? Bless his heart. Verse 15, And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Do, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Verse 18. And he said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? The therefore is therefore a purpose. Okay, What's the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. Verse 20, and he said, again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Let's pray. Father God, um, number one, we pray that we would not be like this man who saw that the Sabbath day was for everything but the miraculous working of God. I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to what you're doing right now in this room, right now in our hearts, right now across our nation. We pray that the miraculous working of God would exude through the preaching of the word and people's lives would be radically changed because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so, Father, we pray that the miraculous would happen in church today. We pray that we'd not miss it today. We ask, Lord, in this place that you would teach us through your word about what it means to be a part of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please be seated. Okay, so I'm just going to walk through the passage. It's my favorite thing to do. 
just walk through a passage. Verse 10 says, when he was teaching in one of the, Sabbath, uh, the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, uh, just if you've been with us uh, since we've been preaching through Luke, um, this is Jesus's, or the, Luke's last reference in Luke of Jesus teaching in a synagogue. Okay? Uh, after this, he turns and he begins to go and dine in people's homes. Uh, he does a lot of teaching in public places. He even goes um, in his triumphal entry after he comes into Jerusalem. He enters the temple and teaches there. But this is the last time he teaches in a synagogue, which is what Jesus did. Jesus would go into a town, go to the synagogue, and he would teach in the synagogue. But this is the last reference of that. Okay, Verse 11 says, And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, Jesus enters this synagogue, and there in the synagogue, he sees a lady. Now, this lady, for 18 years, had a physical disability brought on by a disabling evil spirit from Satan. And for 18 years, this lady physically was bent over. I don't know how far over but she was bent over, and the Bible says that she could not fully straighten herself. Now, that word, the, the could not fully straighten herself, is, is kind of weak in the English, but in the Greek, it, it's the, the, the Greek word me dunamene, which means is, there is no ability whatsoever. It is impossible for her to fully straighten herself. She has no power. She is not at all able to straighten herself. She was powerless to what she was experiencing. She was bent over for the last 18 years and there was not a thing she could do about it. She was hopeless and she was helpless. There was no way out for her. Do you see that? Verse 12. This is why I love my Jesus. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. Now, I need you to know that when we, when we, when we use a word like saw, we think about he's saw. I got two eyes. Can you not see? Right? I saw it with my own two eyes. We think about the physical ability to see something. And what in the scripture a lot of times... Um, the way that God reveals Himself is that seeing is more than with His eyes. One of the names of God in Genesis chapter 16 is El Roy, which means the God who sees me. I want you to know this morning that you do not serve a far-off, distant God. If you are a child of God, your God is not distanced from you and inactive in your life, but your God sees you as you are. He sees you where you are. He knows right what you're going through. And your God has His eye on you, a sparrow. Isn't that good to, knew, good to know that the Father has His eyes watching you? And it's not a vengeful, I'm watching you, son. It's not that. But it's the same kind of compassion that we see here in this text, that Jesus saw her. This is more than seeing with his eyes. This is compassionate looking upon his created being. He's seeing as God sees. 
There is compassion in the seeing that Jesus is doing here. And then he calls her over. I need you to know something. She didn't call for help. How many times in the scriptures do we see Jairus? People like Jairus. Jairus runs to find Jesus. And he says, you've got to come help me right now. And in the middle, while Jesus is traveling from where he was to Jairus' house to heal his daughter, there's a lady who goes after Jesus and touches the fringe of his robe. We see story after story. Son of David, blind Bartimaeus, have mercy on me. The leopards, the lepers, not leopards, the lepers. I need another cup of coffee. The lepers come running to Jesus for healing. But not this lady. She did not call for help. She didn't seek Jesus to help him. I just find that interesting. We'll talk about that in a moment. In verse 12, it continues. He sees her. Elroy sees her. And he calls her to himself. This, and we'll talk about this, this is what salvation is. That God looks upon you and He calls you to Himself. He calls you to Himself. And then this is what He says to her, Woman, you are freed. You are freed from your disability. Now this is something that He has already done. It's the, the perfect tense. You have been freed. And that perfect tense is, it's happened, but is it going to have ongoing effects? He says, woman, you have been freed. You are freed from your disability. I just need you to see in this passage that Jesus did for her what she could not do for herself. She was not at all able. She was made dunamene. And Jesus sees her, calls her, and says, I'm going to do for you what you couldn't do for you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. He laid his hand on her. And this is another sign of Jesus' compassion. What are the religious leaders thinking as Jesus touches this woman? He shouldn't be doing that. He's going to get unclean from her. And I love... That Jesus is willing to invade our messy places. He's willing to take on our uncleanliness. So that he might heal us from what is ailing us. That's the story of the cross. That Jesus takes on our sin. And it says by his stripes we are healed. He is showing compassion to her. And then in verse 14, this is what we see. Or verse 13, he lays his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. She was made straight. She didn't make herself straight. Some of you in this room have been trying to make yourself straight for a long time. You've been trying to make yourself right with God. And there's no way for you to make yourself right with God. You can't make yourself straight. That's why you need Jesus, because Jesus can do what you're not able to do. You can't make yourself upright in God's sight, and so Jesus comes to make you upright in God's sight. It's a righteousness that does not come from you. It's His righteousness that He gives to you. That's the gospel. And then in verse 14, after this miracle just took place in the middle of the synagogue on the Sabbath day, 
this religious leader sees this miracle and the ruler of the synagogue, verse 14 says, he's indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath. I mean, this is a special day. I just want you to understand, there's a stark contrast right here between the heart of Jesus and the response of this ruler. Do you see that? The, the heart of Jesus, Jesus has compassion. And the ruler gets what? Angry. He gets angry. Why? Because Jesus' miracle had disrupted the Sabbath schedule. Come on now, somebody. Have you ever met this person? I don't care what God's doing in our church. It's got to be done in order. It's not happening the way I think it should happen. See, the ruler, this ruler is essentially saying that, that God, even God, can't heal on the Sabbath. Because the religious leader, he, he knew where healing power came from, didn't he? I mean, he's a man of faith, supposedly. And so he believed that, that only God had the power to heal. But in that moment, he says, I don't want the miraculous working of God to invade the schedule that I have for the day. I don't want God's divine interruption in my life or in my church. I'd rather go about as business as usual than see God intervene and do something incredible. See, religious people inside the church will often complain about those doing the work, even though they hadn't lifted a finger to help with the work. Don't be like this religious leader. Don't be like him. And they, like, like this man, they're trying to keep their opinions about God's law, and they're missing out on the heart of God. For the lost. They're missing it. Don't fall into this trap. Don't fall into the trap of being critical of people who are doing work inside and outside the church. When you're not working with them. Or to understand what they're doing. Don't be that person. Verse 15. Jesus responds. He says, you, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? Verse 16, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? He says, essentially, you have mercy on an animal. An animal, for goodness sakes. You untie that animal every Sabbath day, and you take that animal to the water so that it can be made well. It can be refreshed. It can have what it needs. You have mercy on an animal but when you look at this woman who's a daughter of Abraham, you have no compassion for her. Can I just be honest? It's sometimes I fall into that trap. Where I look at people and I have no compassion for them. And I would say something along these lines. Well, they got themselves into this mess. 
You're going to make your bed? Lay in it. And we have no compassion sometimes for the very people that God created. He says, you have mercy on an animal. You'll loose that ox for refreshment, but you won't rejoice when your sister is loosed from the power of Satan. I want you to look at a word, okay? In verse 12, he looks at this lady, he says, woman, you are freed from your disability. That word free is a Greek word, luo, okay, which means to loose. And then in verse six or 15, he makes a comparison. You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie? That word is luo. You loose your donkey, but the Son of Man has just loosed this woman from her bondage. And then it continues on in verse 16. Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond? Same word. Jesus is showing us a picture. You lose your donkey because it's, it's right to do, to be a steward of God's creation. You take care of what God gave you. And Jesus is saying, I am also being a good steward of what God has given to me. I'm being a good steward of God's creation. I am caring for God's creation. I am setting her free so that she might be refreshed in the living waters of Christ. And you don't even care. See, he missed out on the purpose of the Sabbath. He missed it. He did not understand God's intention for the Sabbath. I remember one of my favorite verses in the book of Hosea is Hosea 6.6. 6, says, for I desire steadfast love or, or mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And I wonder if this man remembered that phrase in this moment where the, the father was bringing it to his remembrance. I desire love, steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's not about what you bring to me. It's about what I do for you. This man misunderstood God's intention. How many of you grew up in a home where you were not allowed to do certain things on, this, on, on Sunday? Anybody? Okay. I once got fussed at in church because I said, this morning I ironed my shirt. And afterward sweet little person walked up to me after and fussed at me because I ironed my shirt on, on Sunday morning. I, I, you, you probably heard it all. You, you can't watch TV on the Sabbath or on Sunday. You can't play sports on Sunday. You, you can't go fishing on Sunday. You can't go hunting on Sunday. Come on now, somebody. You can't wash your car on Sunday. And, and I, think, I think it's one of those things where we've missed the intention, God's intention for Sunday. We've missed God's intention for the Sabbath. Jesus even says, hey, the Sabbath does not exist, or the man does not exist for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Sabbath exists for man. The Sabbath was not made for man to benefit God. Rather, God gave the Sabbath for the benefit of man. That, now, that's not to say that we should pack Sundays full of stuff so that we are busy all day long. That's not what I'm intending to say. So don't hear that. See, rest is good and God ordained. Did you see that in the Bible, God created 
evening and morning on the first day. What came first? Evening. Why? Because God wanted to teach His people that before the day started, you needed to rest. We see it the other way. We see that, that, it, that morning happens and then the evening, and so I'm resting from my day, and God says, no, rest comes first. Rest comes first in your day. Both a physical and a spiritual rest comes before. One of my intents as a pastor is to help us reestablish in our church a Sabbath rest where Sunday isn't about all the things that I can do for God, how busy and full our days can be, how programmed our church can be, how many activities we can have as a church. That is not my goal. Because I've found in my own life oftentimes that less is more. One of my goals as a pastor of Seneca Baptist Church is to have Sunday be a time of worship, a time of rest, a time of refreshment that come from the presence of the Lord. See, this man, he missed out on Emmanuel, God with us, because of his desire for a schedule. He missed out on the Lord of the Sabbath because he was so focused on the law of the Sabbath. And this is a point that Jesus will soon address in both parables. But before we do, I want you to see the gospel in this story. Last night I had the opportunity to, to do a pastor training with, uh, I think it was nine pastors in the Dominican Republic via Zoom. Via Zoom. And then so we did a pastor training and I was tasked with um, the topic of the centrality of the gospel in all of preaching. No matter if you're coming from Genesis or you're coming from Revelation, there should, there's always the gospel, there's always a gospel presentation, and there's always a call to Jesus. So I want, you to, I want to practice what I preached last night. And I want you to see in this story the gospel portrayed. Now listen to me. This woman has been overcome by a disabling spirit from Satan. She has been created in the image of God, but has been so marred and affected by the curse of sin that you can hardly recognize God's image in her any longer. Nobody looked at her and said, wow, how great is God. She is powerless to do anything about her situation. She suffered so long that she's become accustomed to her situation, so accustomed that she's not even seeking to be relieved from this burden that she bears. She settled herself to this is all life's going to be. She wasn't even looking for, the, for deliverance, but the deliverer was looking for her. Are you tracking with me, church? It reminds me. It reminds me of Luke chapter 15, which I can't wait to get to um, after the first of the year, where, or at the end of the year, where we talk about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost in Luke chapter 19. And how when something got lost, there was always one who went searching for it until it was found, and then they rejoiced because they had found what was lost. It reminds me of that story. 
And so Jesus found her. He saw her and he looked on her with compassion. He loved her. Understand that the Creator was looking on the one that he had created who was broken and under the curse of sin. And I want you to notice something. That Jesus, or she didn't call Jesus, but Jesus called her. And so because of her life, because of the last 18 years of her experience, when somebody called out to her, she had two options. She had two options because of her experience. I mean, just imagine that all the times that she'd been called out in the middle of a crowd and she might have been heckled or she might have been um, ridiculed or shamed or, or whatever the word is. And so she heard her, somebody called to her that day. And she had two options. And she could have turned, put her head down, and walked slowly away. Because she didn't want to deal with the shame of this sickness that she had. Or two, she could respond to the one who called her. And that's what she did. She responded to the call in faith. When she responded to Jesus in that moment, he reached out in compassion and gave this, his healing touch and she was set free. I want you to understand this is our story. We have been created to walk with God, but sin has bent us over and disabled us. And there is no way that we can of ourselves be upright with God. We can't do it. We are created in the image of God, but sin has so damaged and marred that image in us until it seems that everything is buried under the rubble of the fall. But Jesus came looking for us. He saw us right in the middle of our sin. He could see God's image in us, and He felt compassion for us. He had mercy on us, and He called out to us. He calls us to Himself for healing and forgiveness if we would yet come to Him. Only Jesus has the power to forgive sin and redeem us from the curse of the fall. How? How does Jesus do that? Well, Galatians chapter 3 says it best in verse 13. I'll read 12 and 13. Or 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. Verse 14, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Jesus is calling out to those who would trust Him. He has become a curse for you to set you free from the curse of sin so that if you would respond to Him in faith, you might be set free and receive the promised Holy Spirit. He set you free by becoming a curse for you and I on the cross. Through the cross, Jesus reconciles us to God and restores in us the image of God. He looses us from sin by destroying the power of sin. Through the cross, Colossians, man, my, it says in Colossians chapter 3, 2, Colossians chapter 2, it says that God made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and He put them to open shame by triumphing over them through Christ. 
God became a curse for you, and He has set you free from that curse through Jesus. Now He's calling to you today. And like this story, Jesus has not stopped looking for His lost sheep, but we have often stopped looking for Him. His compassion has not come to an end for you. He is still calling to those who would respond to Him. Would you respond to Him today? So then Jesus tells two parables. Back in Luke. He says, to what will I compare the kingdom of God? He says, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree and the birds of the net. Birds of the air made nests in its branches. And then he tells a second parable. He says, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He talks about the mustard seed. And as many of you guys know who have studied the Bible before, the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. It's the smallest of seeds. And it grows into, as Jesus says, one of the greatest of the garden plants. I want you to understand that the kingdom of God started small. Think about it. There's a young virgin named Mary who receives a divine commission. And there's a young boy, a baby born in Bethlehem. Who grew up a carpenter's son and grew up in a town called Nazareth and even one of the early disciples said, can anything good come from Nazareth? The answer, yes. See, the, this kingdom started small. And, but just because it started small, we don't need to underestimate it. It'll grow, and Jesus tells us that that mustard seed will grow. And it became a tree and birds of the air made nests in its branches. And so we don't need to understand or underestimate it because it'll provide protection and comfort and rest and provision for those that take shelter in the tree. And then he tells another one, another parable. He says it's like leaven, a little bit of leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Leaven hidden in the flour. Jesus is essentially saying, hey, don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's not just small and, and hard to see, but it's hidden from those who aren't looking for it. Do you see what he says? He says, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid. It's, it's hidden. The kingdom can be hidden from those who don't have eyes to see it. It can be hidden from those who are not looking for it. And if you want to turn forward just a couple chapters in Luke chapter 17, he, in verse 20 and 21, he says this, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's in the midst of you. And so I want you to hear what Jesus might be saying. He's, he's saying don't underestimate the kingdom and don't miss the kingdom. Open your eyes. So here's our application for the day. Number one, don't underestimate the kingdom of God. 
God wants to do far more in and through each and every one of you and in and through his church than we could ever dare to ask or dream or imagine. God wants to do something in our midst that is miraculous like what happened on this Sabbath day in the middle of the synagogue. Nobody was expecting it, but that's who God is. He does what is unexpected. Number two, don't miss the kingdom by being so distracted with all the busyness of religious activity. Open your eyes to the kingdom around you. Now, I just need to confess something to you. This season of, of ministry has been really tough. Have you found yourself distracted this year? I'm, if I can just be honest, it's been easy to focus on politics. And I can be so focused on politics that I miss out on the kingdom. I guess that's, is it just me? It's just me, just me struggling. It's okay. I, I can be so <clears throat> focused on the Rona, the virus, this coronavirus that I can miss out <clears throat> on the kingdom. There are a lot of distractions right now for us. And I just, I just need you to know that one of Satan's greatest tactics is, is distraction. Oh man, and, and guess what I see is a distracted church. Sometimes in church we get focused on the, the form and not the function. Because when, when I was growing up, it looked like X, Y, and Z. And church doesn't look like X, Y, and Z today. Again, I, I can be so distracted by the form of church that I miss what God's doing in our church. It's funny. I have experienced a good bit of frustration from people this year around our church in this state of the virus. And it's because nothing looks like it did. Amen, somebody. It doesn't, does it? Good gravy. It just doesn't look like it did. And, and in these days, we can get so focused on Opinions, the left or the right or Democrat or Republican or to mask or not to mask, that is the question. That we're missing the kingdom in our midst. He said it's not, 
The kingdom is not there in ways that you can observe it. It's in your midst. You're not going to say, there's the kingdom. Oh, there it is. He says, it's all around you. But we have become so distracted that we've missed it. And if we miss it too long, guess who will become in this story? That darn ruler of the synagogue. And we'll end up griping Jesus out of the church. And guess what? He'll leave. Some of us, we've never had eyes to see the kingdom. And Jesus says it. You have eyes, but do not see. You have ears, but do not hear. And some of you, you just think because you're in a pew today that your soul is secure with God. And that could be one of Satan's greatest lies to church people. You can sit in the church pew and never be a part of God's kingdom. You can be active in your church and at that end day when you stand before the Lord Jesus, He will say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You were busy for me, but I didn't know you. It's been hard to focus lately. And it's time for us to ask and beg God to give us eyes to see what He's doing around us. Doing in us and doing through us. Ask Him. Ask God to open your eyes. If you find yourself distracted, maybe it's time to turn off the news. Hallelujah. Maybe it's time to take a sabbatical from Facebook until 2039. Unless you're watching Seneca Baptist on Facebook. So don't underestimate it. God wants to do far more, more than we could ever imagine right here. And he's doing stuff. This COVID season has been incredible for ministry. But it's been hard. Don't miss it by being distracted. Open your eyes to it. Third thing. He's still calling people into the kingdom. Some into the front doors of the kingdom. And some deeper into the kingdom. Not only has this been a distracting time, but this has been a really dry season for me. I shared with Tom and Teresa, our staff, that I'm just struggling. My relationship with Jesus has been lacking at times. And I had my rock bottom moment a few Sundays ago. When, and I stood up here and my fuel tank was on E. And a few people lovingly told me that it was. <laughs> you were off a little bit today, Ryan. Yes, I was. Thank you for loving me enough to say it. He's not just calling people to salvation in these days. 
But he is. He is calling people to salvation. So some of you in this room, you need to get out of the church and into the kingdom. But, but he's also calling some of us who are tired, who are weary, who are burdened, who find ourselves in really dry places. We're worn out. We might be anxious. Our marriage might be broken. Our finances in disrepair. You might be a struggling parent. You might find yourself in a season of depression. You might have a thousand doubts in this season that you never had. And he's calling to you too. And he's saying, if, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And I'll give him water. And if he drinks of this water, he'll never be thirsty again. If anyone's hungry, he says, let him come to me and eat. I'm the bread of life. And if you eat of this bread, you'll never, no, never be hungry again. He's calling, he's saying, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He might be saying to you like he did to Thomas, he says, come, come, put your fingers in my hand and your hand in my side. So maybe you're out there and you're experiencing just a dryness like your pastor has this year. Maybe you've settled. Just like this lady. Well, there's no hope to get out of it, so I'll just get comfortable. You know a rut is just a, a grave with the ends knocked out, right? Some of us are in the grave and some of us are in the rut and we just got to make our way out. So if, if that's you, it's time to hear God call you. He is calling you today. There's not a single one of us in this room that he's not calling to for something today. Come into the kingdom or dive deeper into my depths. Trust the gospel of Jesus Christ or dive deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's calling. I'm going to pray for us right now. And after I pray, our praise team is going to come up. And you have an opportunity to respond. If you want to come talk to me, great. If you just want to make your way anywhere up front and you want to find a, a, sol a place of solitude with the Lord, you, you do that. If, if you have things that are going on in your life right now that you don't feel like you can talk to me here, please contact me and I would love to meet with you. But Jesus is calling. Let's hear and obey. Would you pray with me? Father, you're calling some to salvation and you're calling some deeper into salvation. You're calling some to trust the gospel. You're calling some to dive into the gospel. You're calling some into the kingdom and you're calling some to dive deeper into the kingdom. And so, Father, we just pray that, there, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to comprehend your love for us. We would hear your voice right now. Your Bible says in John chapter 10, My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. So Father, we don't need another sermon, although I'm at the end of mine. We need your divine call from heaven to change us. 
we pray that you'd speak right now. And we pray that we would not underestimate what you want to do in your kingdom, in our church, and we pray that we would not miss what you're already doing. We pray that we would not have hard hearts to what's going on here, that we would not miss the function because we're focused on the form. We pray that all the distractions of this world would become so dim in the light of your glory that we would just want you in these days. Father, we are hungry and we are thirsty and we are weary and we are tired and we are burdened and we are bent over and only the Lord Jesus can heal us. And so we need you. Call to your people and ask them to come to you today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Would you stand with me as the, the praise team?